but I know this about me. Okay. I have areas that I need to improve in, and I think we could all wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, our church as a whole, we have areas we can improve in, right? We're imperfect people. Um, where does it start, though? And uh, this is something I've been thinking about lately. If we want to improve as a whole, the Bible gives us, um, and this, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians, but 2 Chronicles, I'll just read this, 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It starts with us. Um, you know, uh, me, maybe you're not like this, but I like to listen to talk radio sometimes, not very often, because um, a lot of it I agree with. <laughs> and, but they don't offer a solution. And I know the solution, but they you know, want to talk about how bad our country is and how we're in a mess. And I agree, we're in a mess. Uh, but it starts with us. And if there's a problem in our country, look in the mirror. And, uh, you know, the problem is, just like in individual things, and not as a whole, but as individual things, we can see all the problems in everyone else. If, if you were honest, sometimes you could list a long list of things about other people in the church. That, oh, well, they need to do this. We can, we can clearly see what everybody else needs to do, but we don't look in the mirror and see what we need to do. And a lot of times, and this has been said many times, and it's true, a lot of times the reason we can see it so well in someone else is because we have the same problem. And the reason that we can point it out in them is, hey, whoa, whoa, we got that problem. We don't like to admit that, though, right? We like to... Uh, think highly of ourselves. We like to think that we're not as bad uh, as this kid or that kid, or we're not as bad as this adult or that adult. Um, uh, I remember when we, were, when we were dealing with Titus about salvation. I didn't tell him I was going to use him as an example, but um, when we were dealing with Titus about salvation, he says, well, I'm not as bad as this kid, or I'm not as bad as that kid. And I'm like, well, maybe that's true, but you're still a sinner. And he eventually figured it out, but he, it's, that's natural. You know, why does the Bible tell us comparing themselves among themselves, they were not wise? That verse is in there for a reason, because yeah, we're going to compare ourselves. We're going to say, well, I'm not as bad as this guy, or I'm not as bad as that guy, right? But when we compare ourselves to God, obviously we fall short. Um, we want to be looked at a certain way, or we want to be treated a certain way, or we want to be mentioned. Or, you know, uh, well, you know, this project happened and I didn't get mentioned. Well, what are, you, are you looking for a mention or are you looking for pleasing God? You should be looking for pleasing God. And, we, and it's something we all know. We just have to remind ourselves of that. Our pride gets in the way of blessings and victories in our lives and in our church. Our pride gets in the way. You know, uh, thankfully, you know, God has blessed us and, and, and God has been working in our church and all those things. And that's something we should never take for granted. Because you know what? People have church splits and they have all these problems over the color of the carpet and the color of the paint and the color, you know, uh, somebody didn't shake my hand this morning. 
right? And obviously we know the root of that is below all of that stuff. But you know what? What, is, what, is that, what? what brings that on? It's pride, right? It's us thinking that we're somebody that we're not. So tonight, I'd like to uh, preach a message on God uses nobodies. And uh, we're going to look at a few examples of nobodies that God used. Let's uh, start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse uh, 25 says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Then turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. And he said unto me, so this is talking about uh, he's besought the Lord thrice to have um, this to be removed. Remember, he, three times he asked him, all right, he says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities. Now, let's... <laughs> Sometimes when I read this, I shout in my head, okay? I already get texts from upstairs sometimes. I get up early, and sometimes I get a text from my wife. What are you watching downstairs? It's 5 o'clock in the morning, or because you know, I get up at 4 sometimes. So, so I don't actually shout this out loud, but in my head, I'm shouting this out loud when I read this verse sometimes. Um, will I rather glory in my infirmities? What does that mean? What's the word glory mean? Does the, the word glory mean, and we all know what it means, but does it mean, you know, I've, I've had such a tough go of it, which we have people that have had a tough go of it. But this, this is glory. This means, you know, I, when I think of that, I think of when we sing certain songs. There's one song we sing, I can't remember the name of it, and that one part, and it's, 
glory, like that, you know, that one, that one chorus, I think it's the chorus we sing it. That's what I think of when I read that verse. Now, do I always react this way? Obviously, no, I do not. But it says, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Whew. Therefore, I take pleasure, pleasure, like I take pleasure in going on vacation. No, this is pleasure and infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Can I just put a little commercial in there and persecutions? So my wife gave me a good idea. I've decided not to watch the Olympics. If you want to watch the Olympics, help yourself, okay? I'm not telling you you can't. And she says, why don't we just pray for the persecuted Christians in China instead of watching the Olympics? And I thought, that's a good idea because I don't really want to support the Olympics anyways because I like to watch the Olympics, don't get me wrong. But it's a good idea because we think, you know, um, we live in New York, so we're persecuted. Not even close. There's a missionary, I just read his letter recently, that, um, you know, last time I got pulled over for a traffic infraction, they didn't put me in jail for 48 hours. That's what happened to this missionary. Because he had an accident with someone that lived in that country. He wasn't at fault. They put him in jail for 48 hours. So they could figure out what happened. That hasn't happened to any of us recently, I don't think. Unless you got a little, you know, lippy with the police officer, maybe. Right? But it says, I will take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. So, let's look at this idea of God uses nobodies. I have written down here, it takes a nobody to be a somebody. It's kind of like um, I was, when I was uh, putting this together, I, w- I was reminded of the um, Sunday school lesson a couple weeks ago that uh, Jerry brought about the equations in the Bible. Well, this is kind of one of those equations that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, be a no- and this is the opposite of anybody that you listen to on the radio, pretty much, right? What is anybody that's a self-help, you know, and I'm not against trying to improve yourself and figuring out what you're doing wrong. I'm not against any of that. But it's all believe in yourself. It's you're a wonderful person. And I believe there is a lot of wonderful people here. Don't get me wrong, okay? But we're, at the end of the day, we're all sinners, right? We're all imperfect people. And we have to realize and not forget where we came from. It takes a nobody to be a somebody. I got a few names uh, written down here. Um, People that uh, were, in our eyes, somebody, because we read books about them. But if you you lived in the day that they lived lived in and saw uh, the way they grew up and the way they acted, you wouldn't necessarily think that. And they they definitely wouldn't tell you that they were somebody. But uh, George Mueller is one of them. Uh, uh, Adoniram Judson, um, I think of uh, Charles Spurgeon, he was a very humble, very humble man. Uh, D.L. Moody, uh, I think of, um, I have Lester Roloff written down here, he's one of my favorites. And 
uh, he was, uh, loved to listen to him sing. And I know all you musical people say, ah, right? <laughs> you don't like to hear that, but you can hear his heart. That's, that's why I love to hear him sing, right? Uh, but he, he always used to talk about he was just a farm kid, humble as could be. Never, he never thought anything of himself. Matter of fact, uh, I, heard, I read this about George Mueller, that if you called George Mueller in his vicinity, you called him a man of faith, he would get very irate and, and correct you and say, no, I'm not a man of faith. Now, I look at my life and I see the, the thing, and I mean, you know, God has been good to me, don't get me wrong, but I look at the, the amount of money and the, the food and all those things that he prayed in, and I think, that's a man of faith, right? But he, he didn't think he was a man of faith. And that's, that's the difference. That's how we make a difference in our world. You know what? Uh, people are watching us. They really are. And sometimes we forget that. Uh, our kids are watching us. That's the scary part for me, right? But people are watching us. Turn to Judges chapter 6. People are paying attention. People are looking, okay? They may not say it out loud, but people are looking at what we're doing. Now, Judges was here sometime. Okay, here we go. Okay. Usually, I, I learned something from Brother Ingalls when he was here. When I print all the verses out, I read too fast. So by me making myself look them up, it slows me down. But the only problem with that is I have to find it. And I don't have enough of these little uh, string things in here. But uh, uh, Judges chapter 6, um, what I was saying is people are paying attention. Uh, you, you don't think they are, but they really are. They're looking. They're confused. Uh, I work with a lot of guys that are very confused right now. They don't know what to do. Uh, their kids are being taught things in school that they never had to worry about being taught in school. And now they have to make a tough decision. Some of them have had their wives quit their job and they're homeschooling their kids. But there's others that are saying, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, you, you know, you could start by going to the school board meeting. But you got to be careful with that, too, because <laughs> uh, they like to lock people up for going to school board meetings. But obviously, don't go and cause a problem. But the, thing, the point I'm trying to get across is this. People are paying attention. People have always paid attention, but they seem to be, to me anyways, really paying attention. They're looking. Uh, I, I told this story in the junior church meeting yesterday, uh, <laughs> and I think somebody even mentioned this this morning, that people have this idea, too, and sometimes it's the wrong idea of what a Christian should and shouldn't do. They have it all figured out, what you're supposed to do. Well, I had made a statement about something at work, and this, this lady immediately pipes up, and she says, Mr. Corey, I can't believe you just said that. And I go, what are you talking about? She goes, you're a Christian. You shouldn't be talking about someone else like that. And I said, is it true? <laughs> she goes, well, yeah, it's true. And I said, have I told it to his face, Tim to his face? She goes, well, yeah. I go, yeah, I need to be careful what I say. You're exactly right. 
I said, but I'm not gossiping about him. I'm not saying I never have gossiped about anybody, okay? But I said, I mean, what's the, what's the verse that everybody, every lost person knows? Judge not, be not judged, right? As soon as you point out their sin, oh, judge not. The, okay, the Bible says we're supposed to judge, right? We, and we all know that. But speaking of that, we're in Judges. Judges, uh, chapter 6. And love them or hate them, I don't know, I love them, okay? Gideon is one of my favorite people in the Bible. And in Judges, chapter 6, verse 11, says... And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizurite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So weak things, right? This is what I have written down, and we're talking about Gideon. Let's notice, first of all, and this is a part that we sometimes miss, that Gideon was working. Do you notice that there's a common thread? And I was actually reading about this this afternoon, and I didn't write them all down, but there, if you look through the Bible and you see the different people that God used, there's a common thing that they were all doing when God told them to do something else. They were working. Now, Gideon... You know, he gets the whole fleece thing. He, you know, he, he gets a bad rap sometimes, right? But Gideon was actually doing a brave thing by threshing the wheat in the wine floor because he was not supposed to be doing that because they were taking the food. And the government told them not to do that. And they did it anyways. But that's, we're not going down that rabbit hole, okay? But just a side note right there, right? But, and he wasn't being disrespectful. He was making sure his people had something to eat. And he was, yeah. Was he hiding? Yeah, he was. But he was working. He was a worker. Uh, think about um, uh, Elisha. I always get the two confused. Which, which was the one? Kids, help me. The kids can help me out. Which was the, kid that, which was the guy that was plowing? Titus? Elisha. Elisha, okay. He was plowing, right? And then God called him to do something else. But he was working, right? He wasn't sitting there waiting. He was working, right? Gideon was working. Gideon was weak in his eyes. Look at, look at verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So he says, hey, I'm not the guy for this. And I don't... I don't know, I wasn't there. You know, we always say, or I always say anyways, when we get to heaven, I'd like to ask this person this question. I don't think we're going to really be worried about that at that point, okay? But he's one of the people, I'd like to see where his heart was when he asked that question. Because the, the way I look at it, he's saying, hey, he, I think he was being honest before the Lord. He was saying, listen, I'm, listen I have an older brother. I have, I have maybe had more than one older brother. There's people that are more qualified in my own house, let alone in my own town, to do this. Why do you want me to do this? I'm not the guy for the job. He says, I'm weak. I'm, I'm a nobody. That's the first thing he said. He said, I'm a nobody. But what, is, what does it say 
in verse 12. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, and then he goes through his little questioning thing there where he's like, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? And now the Lord hath forsaken us. And right. And he says in verse 14, and the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Right. And again, he's, he's struggling with this because he doesn't think that he can do it. Right. And that's exactly where God wants us to be. It's not comfortable, but that's where he wants us to be. And you know what? God saw the potential in him. God always sees the potential in us. Maybe other people don't see the potential in us. You know, that's why you need to be careful. And I think we all know this. And I think we do a good job. We try to do a good job of doing this here. Don't be a dream crusher, I call him. Don't crush some little kid's dream. Now, don't fill his head with nonsense, right? If he says, you know, something crazy... But don't be a dream, don't be, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. You don't know what God has for that kid. And if you act like an unloosed cannon, or like an idiot, frankly, and ruin the, and, and say something to this kid to crush his dreams, that may be the thing that keeps him from serving the Lord. Or from fulfilling exactly what God has for him. You know, that's, uh, I tell my kids all the time, I go, listen, the reason, I know, you don't understand why you're learning quadratic equations or whatever you learn, right, and all this different stuff, they're not quite to that level yet, okay, but uh, <laughs> maybe someday, but I tell them, you know what, we don't know what God has for you, so you need to be prepared for what God has for you. You need to finish your school. You need to do all these things because God has some, and I'm not going to, I don't want to be the one that holds them back and says, oh, you know, I don't know if you should do, I don't want to be that way, right? And I should, and we should do the same thing with the kids in our ministries. And we should not, because you know what? God, when he looks at us, he sees the potential. We don't see it ourselves individually. And again, maybe other people don't see it, but it's there, Right? And you know what? Just because, you know, I have some kids that are more outspoken than other children, right? And you probably have the same thing in your house. Some kids are quiet, or maybe all of them are loud. I don't know. Some kids are more quiet than other kids, right? God can take those things, and God can use them, and God sees the potential. Don't you be one of these people that talks down to children or... Uh, talks them out of the potential that God has for them. He wants you to use those things and he wants you to surrender to them. I, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I am not naturally gifted to teach junior church. That's not my niche, I should say. At least I don't feel it is. Now, obviously, that's, I know what God, that's what God wants me to do. And he helps me do it. I'm not naturally gifted at it. Some people are extremely gifted at it. That's not me. I'm never going to write a book on 15 ways to run a better junior church. I'm never going to, you know, write a book about object lessons or I'm just not naturally gifted at it. I have to work at it. 
So, just like today, take my lesson from today, I put it in my, my binder, I pull out next week's lesson today. And I look it over starting today. Why? Because I know I'm not good enough. And I hope I never am. And I know I need to improve. But it's, it's not natural for me to, to do that. So I have to work at it. Just like, you know what? God wants you to do something. He can help you do it. But you have to surrender yourself to him. And that's, that's, again, that's the difficult part. So first of all, we looked at Gideon. Now let's look at Moses. And, um, and I have written down as the, the title for this point, God can use someone that used to be a somebody and turn them into a nobody that is used for God. And I know that doesn't make any sense, but it makes sense, right? Um, uh, turn over to, uh, you don't need to turn, I'll just read it to you. But um, Moses was a somebody, right, for 40 years. He was in the house of Pharaoh. It says in Acts 7.22, And Moses was learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Also, he could speak. Interesting, right? That's, he liked to say he couldn't speak, right? But for 40 years, he had the finest of clothing, he had uh, influence in, Fer in Pharaoh's house. He had the name to go with Pharaoh, right? Where, you know, he could walk in somewhere and he, he gets things given to him and he gets favor because of the name that he was associated with. He has all of that. So he's a somebody, right? He's somebody special. He has a title. He has, he has all these things going for him. And then he forsakes it all and walks away and becomes a nobody. And then he ends up being the meekest man on the face of the earth, the Bible says in Numbers. So how do you go from that to the meekest man? Well, for one thing, he was a shepherd for 40 years. Now that'll humble you. But you know what? If you can lead sheep for 40 years you might be able to lead the Israelites for 40 years. Because the Israelites, and us too, can be really dumb like sheep. Sheep don't... <laughs> they're kind of like cows in this way. And anybody that's worked with animals, especially cows and sheep, sheep, they can find the hole in the fence. But when you go to put them back in through the same hole in the fence, they act like they've never seen it before. <laughs> right? Just like, you know, <laughs> you know, and sometimes kids can be this way. But we're like kids sometimes, too. Don't forget that. You know, you tell your kid, hey, uh, pick up your shoes. What shoes? The ones that are right there, right? Or the ones that are right in front of you. Or why don't you pick of the five pairs that you have by the door right here, okay? Just one. Let's start with one pair, okay? Uh, we, we can be dumb that way. But you know what? Moses... Had the, had the chance to go to the back side of the desert and to, to work with these sheep, and God molded him and made him so that not only was he the... One example of this is he's the meekest man on the face of the earth. He went from this leader in Pharaoh's house to now 
he's defending the Israelites before God. How many times, it's at least twice, where God wants to destroy them. He says, you know what, Moses? We're, we're going to start over. We've done this before. We had Adam and Eve, right? And, and we went through them, and then we got to Noah, and we decided to start all over again. We can do this again. We'll start with you. And Moses says, no, 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 you can't do that. What he pleads on the behalf of the people. Is this the same guy that was uh, 35 years old living in Pharaoh's house? No, it's not. But he went from being a somebody to now he's a nobody who's humble and who has spent time speaking to God. And he has spent time, uh, the burning bush, right? All those things. And now he cares for God. He cares for his people. And then um, he also didn't, you know, he had this ability. And you know what, though, sometimes... We have the ability to do something, and it's the difference of have, there's a difference between having the ability and using that ability. God told Moses that he was supposed to lead the people, and seven times he says, I can't. Seven times he says, I can't do it. I can't do it because of this. I can't do it because of this, right? And we all know the rest of the story, but he says, oh, well, God, so God... I don't want to say the word compromise, but God came up with a solution and says, okay, well, if you're not going to speak, then that's why you got Aaron. Well, look at the record. The only time Aaron ever spoke, he decided to start a rock band and they all took their clothes off. <laughs> so Moses did all the speaking, even though he said he couldn't speak, right? And, and God used him. But again, going back to this idea of nobody becomes a somebody, right? And we have to humble ourselves, and that's the key word in all of this. Uh, and lastly, let's look at uh, Peter. He's another one of my, my favorites. Turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and Peter, I have written down next to this third point here, follow Jesus, forget others. Now, I don't mean forget other people. That's not what I mean by that. What I mean is forget what other people are doing as far as you're comparing yourself among yourself. You follow what you're supposed to follow. We're all, we're all yes, we're all given some similar marching orders, okay, but all of us are at different levels and all of us are doing different things and we're all supposed to do some things a different way. Stop wasting time looking at what everybody else is doing and how they're doing it and worry about yourself, right? And, and that's basically, we'll get down into it here, but that's basically what Jesus said to Peter a little further down in this passage. Let's look at Peter. I mean, we're not going to go in depth looking at him, but what, what is Peter known for? If you, if you asked a kid in, in a class, you'd say, what is Peter known for? Well, Peter is known for mainly the guy that denied Jesus three times, right? Everybody knows that Peter denied him three times in the cock crew, right? Then we also know that Peter, see, Peter, I think the reason, at least I like him, is Peter was, uh, his heart, I think, was 
in the right place sometimes, but he reacted kind of over the top, right? Pulls the sword out, cuts the guy's ear off. A little over the top. And we we wanted to raise it up a little bit level-wise. We didn't want to go that far. But he took it to that level, right? Uh, Jesus says to him, um, I'm going to wash your feet. And he says, oh, no, you're not washing my feet. And he says, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you can't have a, I'm going to quote this wrong, but you can't have a, basically you can't have a part in the kingdom. And he goes, whoa, wash my whole body, right? He says, yeah, forget the feet. Let's go for the whole show here, right? He was very enthusiastic a little bit, all right? And uh, he had a problem, I have it written down here, a problem with his tongue and a problem with control, right? He'd get a little riled up sometimes. And uh, he was also distracted, and uh, it says in John 21, so we, earlier in this passage, when Jesus comes to speak to them, um, what verse is it? it? says, verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loves saith unto Peter, it is so they're out fishing. Okay? He says, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it, Heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. I don't know what that all involves right there, but he was, you know, he was fishing naked. That's what the Bible says. And he obviously was ashamed, and he jumped into the water, right? So, and what, what do I mean by he was distracted? It says um, in verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. We also go with thee. He went forth, and, in, and that night they caught nothing. A couple other times in the, the Scripture, we see that he went fishing. And in verse 15, it says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Now, something that I didn't think of, and maybe all of you have already seen this, so act like you're excited. <laughs> but something that I didn't notice until recently is, yes, I've heard it preached, and I believe it's true, that Jesus, he denied Jesus three times, and he asked him if he loved him three times, right? But what is he telling him to do all three times? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Then he says in verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and others shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith, saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter turned about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, 
Which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So he says, Do you love me? He says, Feed my sheep. And then he says, Follow me. What do we see when we turn the page in our Bible? We see the book of Acts. And one thing I, I never thought of, and maybe it's not even connected, but to me it seemed connected, is Jesus was testing Peter's obedience. He said, enough of the fishing. You've gone back to the fishing over and over and over again. Are you going to follow? He told him three times, feed my sheep. And then he says, forget this guy. Forget what's going to happen with that. Follow me. And then you turn over the book of Acts, and you see Peter preaching, and you see thousands of people being saved, and thousands of people being baptized. I don't think it's a coincidence that Peter really, really, this time, got his heart right. And now that he's a nobody, and he's not more concerned about cutting off somebody's ear, and about keeping score, and about doing all these other petty things that we waste our time on, that God used him in a powerful way. Once he truly, truly met with Jesus, he changed. And he turned and went a different way. He said, follow me, right? And he said, feed my sheep. And he turned away from all of that and he followed Jesus. Thousands of people saved, thousands of people baptized. Uh, there was healing. You look, uh, we just uh, talked about this in junior church this morning. There was, um, he healed uh, the, the lame man that was at the gate. And he, the Bible says that, and I'm not going to demonstrate like I did in junior church, but he leaped. That's what the Bible says. His, and we use John. We use, it's all right. We use you as an example. I said, can you imagine what the service would be like if all of a sudden John shot up out of his seat and leaped glorifying God? That's what the Bible says this guy did. And you know what? Uh, I'm sure there was those, you know how we can be, oh, well, brother, maybe you should calm down a little bit, right? There's always, the, there's always that one person that has that idea, right? Well, maybe you shouldn't be that excited, right? But that would be a pretty wild show, uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to admit, right? So we looked at three people. We looked at Gideon, we looked at Moses, we looked at Peter. I don't know about you, but... I like to see when God works in my life. I like to see, um, as I have often heard from this pulpit, but it's true in my own life, I know the man that looks in the mirror every day, right? I have uh, four children that I'm responsible for. I know who their father is, right? And when I, when I see them make a choice or do something, and I go, oh, why did they do that? And then I go, oh. That's why they did that. They're just copying their father. And what's weird about children is they've never seen you do some of these things. They weren't around, yet they still copy the same behaviors. That's, that's the scary part as a, as a parent. But I have, I have children that, that look up to me. I have, uh, uh, you, you all have people that look up to you, whether you think so or not. Even if you don't have children, there's people that are watching you. There's people that are paying attention to what you're doing. There's people that are holding on 
by one little thread. And if you quit, they're going to quit. That, that's, you know, that, that happens. The only way that we can see true, lasting work of God is when we become weak and we get out of God's We don't like that. At least I don't like that. I can't speak for you. We don't like that. We become weak and we get out of God's way and we humble ourselves before him. Let me read this verse one more time and then we'll be done. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We need to stop trying to be a, no, a somebody and remember, God uses nobodies. He uses the humble. He uses the weak. He uses the foolishness of preaching. That's what God uses. And we need to be more like Christ and stop worrying about ourselves and lifting ourselves up. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll have some invitation time. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word. I'm thankful for the promises in it. I'm thankful for the grace uh, that you give us. Uh, thank you for the, the mercy that you show us, uh, the long-suffering that you show us. I thank you that um, when we fall down and we get back up, you help us. Um, and I'm thankful that you're a God that keeps his promises. And I pray that you'd use this tonight. Help us to remember that we're nothing. We're uh, we're just people that, that need a Savior. We came to you that way when we got saved. We came and did nothing to receive our salvation except for trust in you. Uh, we were we became a, a nobody. We became like a little child coming before you. And sometimes we, we get saved and we uh, get further down the, the path of Christian life and we forget where we came from. And we forget that we can't do it without you. And I pray that you'd help us to trust in you uh, the way that we should and uh, that you'd help us to live for you and be an example in our community and that we'd see uh, people saved, we'd see people added to our church and uh, that you'd be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.